Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. You know what? I can't wait for 2021 mm-hmm. to begin. Yeah. And when we get out there, we're back on the road. And the first show, we, we're we already planning on this. And oh, yeah. It, it, you can call this satire if you want, but I'm saying that this is a wish and it's a hope. We're going to oh. go down to Adams County, Tennessee. Really? And we're going to do a show just for them. We're going to set up a stage. Adams show. County. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful wow. Adams County. And you yeah. know what's, you know what's going to I can see Kissel asleep in his bed at night. Because oh, yeah. by then, we'll probably have to sleep in some sort of shanty town or burnout 7-Eleven. Absolutely. I can see <laughs> I can see the feather going up and down as I breathe in, <laughs> exhale. Yeah. Benjamin Grant Kissel. <laughs> I see that you are sleeping long, companion of the 7 Eleven. Uh, well, I was, yeah, but. <laughs> yes. Most excellent, you were sleeping. Tell me, Benjamin Grant Kissel. Oh, my. Tell me, you know, I can be anywhere in an instant. It is I, old Kate Betts. Whoa. The bitch from next door. Are you TMZ? <laughs> no. <laughs> No, <laughs> but I will tell you, I can be anywhere in an instant, and I have all knowledge at my disposal, Benjamin uh, Grant Kissel. All right, So then. tell me, of all the queries, of all the knowledge that you seek, mm-hmm. what is the question that I will answer for you this night? If the... Moon simply reflects off the sun. Why do we even need it? What's it doing? You mean the moon? The moon. What the hell's it doing? We give it all the credit in the world. All it, it's just a mirror. So that doesn't do anything. You could have asked any question. But what's the point of the moon? It's just ref- it's just bullshit. I'm going to leave. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, it's the most Googleable question. The, the tides. It the controls tides. the tides. Ah, well, who knew? Let me see that iPhone of yours. No! What horrible pictures of the protuberance beneath your sweatpants. <laughs> yes, indeed. Woo! What's up, everyone? Welcome to the last podcast on the left. I am Ben, hanging out with Henry, hanging out with Marcus. Wow, Hi. we are we are going to answer the big questions yep. today, aren't we? Today's oh, yeah. episode, this is going to be earth-shattering, mind-altering. You're never going to be the same again. Yeah, you're going to quit your job. Good. You're going to throw your headphones off, and you're going to go to your significant other, and you're going to make sweet love to them in the middle of your family. Wow. <laughs> look at that. Many places, that's a common event, mm-hmm. just to make sure that they can get a grandkid on the way. Let's go. In Europe. <laughs> yes, indeed. But this episode, we're going to get a little bit more a spooky, because last Ooh. week, I think we were kind of setting it up, and I think in all the fun of the Bell Witch, we kind of forget that at the heart of it, like in my mind, 
I see these things like a movie. So in the beginnings of the haunting, like uh-huh. in my mind, I see like a gritty version of the like you know antebellum South that's real intense, and then you've got like, you don't a little see girl. a really like fun version of the antebellum South. You huh? know why? Because they <laughs> did like the good, they did have some good times. I'm sure too. If they did invent roller coasters. It'd be a different story altogether. <laughs> if they invented roller skates, the juxtaposition there would be hard to deal exactly. with. Exactly, all the the short shorts and all the field work. <laughs> But the, imagining the little girl of the Bell family like being snapped up in the night and going Ooh. like, ah, 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 ah. like I can see that in like a modern horror day movie equivalent. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's very Exorcist. The Haunting of Connecticut is actually very similar. Well, no kidding. And of course, Vince McMahon is the major ghost of Connecticut. <laughs> That's where the WWE headquarters are located. Oh, I was actually going to bring up that the Blair Witch Project actually was inspired by the story of the Bell Witch. Well, mm-hmm. no kidding. We could do this all day folks let's get to part two of the bell witch so when we last left the bell family their own personal poltergeist had been haunting them for two years having evolved from a creature of simple knocks outside the walls of their home to a full-blown communicative spirit with the ability to physically harm the living oh it's getting older it's learning (laughs) it's learning that's nice But where the poltergeist had focused most of its energy on the young Betsy Bell during the first half of the haunting, it was about to switch most of its malevolent focus to the patriarch, John Bell, for the second half. This is where it gets very dark. And I also want to address the fact that I have been, there's been a lot of corrections this week in pronunciations. Sure, with side stories. It's Meyer Supermarket. We know that. We know that now. And also, um, it's Monarchy. Not Menarch. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. How is that any better? I don't think it's better. It's just correct. It's just, but again, the Steve first Menarchy sounds like someone who goes door to door collecting Menarch. That's his job. <laughs> he works for the Census Bureau. Really? You let him do his job. Oh my. But How many a- bleeders do you have in the house? Well, you could have asked the age in a different way, couldn't you? <laughs> I'll tell you what. I got one bleeder and I got one that's about to be a bleeder. That's disgusting. But this story, it does come from the first egg. Because that's what they say a lot of times is that the Piltergust is born from the first egg that comes from a little girl. As is she, again, when she becomes a little chicken. Really? Okay. Now, as we said, the Bell Witch had become a sort of tourist attraction in Tennessee by simple virtue of word of mouth. But while most people showed up wanting some measure of a ghostly experience, some skeptics just couldn't help but try and ruin a good time. It's because they weren't invited. Absolutely. <laughs> and you know, the Tennessee competition when it comes to um, when it comes to just fun attractions is very intense. You got the world's biggest shoe, which <laughs> that, is a size 25, which I, is a big shoe. And these skeptics always show up with rulers and say, yeah. I've seen bigger shoes. <laughs> yes, indeed. Cheese wedge from outer space. Yeah, you know that and one. they just painted it black. <laughs> yes, indeed. See, a detective known only as Mr. Williams, who was from Baltimore, had heard about the Bellwitch phenomenon and for some reason offered to travel almost 800 miles to solve the mystery. Hold on a second. So he's a detective in Baltimore. Uh-huh. When he didn't have enough work to do? <laughs> I, had a th- I have a feeling this man was done doing homicides and was just like, I'm going to go investigate the ghost. This was before Baltimore was Baltimore. Okay. Now he is just trying to get away from his family because I think at some point he's like I gotta get out of the south and find a ghost somewhere because if not I'm getting a divorce oh. 
Well, Mr. Williams went into the case already determined that the Bells were frauds. And upon his arrival, he essentially announced that he thought that this whole scene was a fucking sham, saying that he didn't believe in the supernatural and was furthermore an expert in detecting illusions, <gasps> sleight of hand, and other forms of trickery. I've ruined three kids' birthday parties this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nothing worse than a magician heckler. Nothing worse than that. On the first night, Mr. Williams heard no more than a few faint scratches and knocks, which he took as evidence that the Bells were indeed flimflam artists who were afraid to bring out the full show in front of such an intelligent man as he. Look at how big my necktie is. Look at how big my hat is. You mean to tell me I'm not smart? But also, very again, smart. this is where the... I want to see the folklore end of the Bell Witch story. We're going to get into it a little bit later on. But this is where the story of the Bell Witch features another first in the lexicon of haunting stories. Is that we have an expert showing up to solve the whole thing. Like we had the religious expert show up and it got laughed at. Then we had Ghost Bro. Mm -hmm. We tried to wrestle the ghost into submission. Again, all first, first. And then he, now we have the first, like, it's the nerd guys from The Conjuring showing <laughs> sure. up, trying to figure out how to nip this thing in the bud, but also show that it is perchance a sham. Mm -hmm. And they did a good job in The Conjuring of providing comic relief. They did. They did. And also their demise was quite entertaining. <laughs> But the second night, after Mr. Williams went to sleep, he was woken up by a great force pressing down on his chest and stomach while his arms were pinned above his head and his face was punched and scratched. Oh my God, am I making a custom video? I haven't paid for this yet. <laughs> wow, that'll cost you extra. He then heard a voice. So, Mr. Detective... Which of the bells do you think is on top of you right now? Before he was able to answer, he was punched again. Yeah, you bitch. Yeah, he <laughs> punched it again, you fat little fat boy from Baltimore. Oh, my. <laughs> but when the family heard the commotion and entered the room, they found him unassailed. Instead, Mr. Williams was giving the Bell family a powerful glare, as if they had somehow engineered his invisible pummeling. The voice then came back, saying, quote, Don't go blaming them. Now go sit in that chair like a good boy, and maybe I won't knock off your head. Ooh, I love this video. Ghost cuck. <laughs> this is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, fuck Mr. my wife, would you go? Yeah, fuck my wife. Mm, yeah. Yes, you see how evil I am to fuck your wife oh, with yeah. my big black ghost witch cock. Oh, wow. Yeah, you I love small dicked scientist. Oh, you're getting me going. Mr. Williams then did as he was told and sat in a chair trembling in fear whilst clutching a candle and listening to taunts from the witch until dawn when he called for his horse and left for breakfast. Horse! <laughs> Where are you, horse? Horse? What was that, boss? Hey, uh, hey, I'm on a union break here. Hey, come on. <laughs> Try that smoke the cigarette. It's all with the cigarette taped to my hoof. Oh, that'll be hard for something with hooves to smoke a cigarette, but maybe better for them in the long run when it comes to health. <laughs> now, just... <laughs> Now, dis now, despite all this hubbub, Betsy Bell had been able to carry on a courtship with the age-appropriate Joshua Gardner. Remember, Boring. he was the kid who was 18. Yeah. Right. And by this point in the story, the youngsters had been seeing each other for about two years. But 
Richard Powell, Betsy's 33-year-old school teacher, was completely in love with the now 14-year-old Betsy. And for reasons <laughs> And for reasons that might become clearer later, the Bell Witch had a vested interest in making Richard's dreams a reality. Oh, the, so the teacher is going to get the the daughter. Well, the teacher so, is okay, going to be on. gifted so, the daughter by the ghost. <laughs> so you're well, the let's daughter. Let's not get too ahead of ourselves okay. here. <laughs> I'm just, it, it is rough when you're the daughter. All of a sudden, you're monarching, whatever it's called. Yeah, you're <laughs> shitting out eggs everywhere, and Every, you can't and then, sell them no matter how many times because it's, you're not living in Japan in the 1920s. <laughs> so your options are an age-appropriate 18-year-old, a teacher who has to be, what, probably in his 30s or He's so? He's 33. And then another person. And how old was that other dude in his 40s? No, this is that guy. This There's is only that two. guy. Yeah. There's yeah, only yeah. two. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Got it. One afternoon, Richard was walking along a road when he felt a smack on the jaw. The witch then spoke and said, Betsy and Joshua will soon announce their engagement. You must act now before it happens. To this, Richard said, And why should I do that? Because you love Betsy Bell. If I were to step in and press my suit, would I succeed with Betsy? Most assuredly. And what proof can you offer me? I offer you nothing, except the promise that I will not beat you into a simpleton if you do enter the lists. You've got to get your vibe on, man. (laughs) It's me, your buddy, Ghost Hitch. Up here to get you in a suit and teach you how to dance. Kevin James of Tennessee. Very cool. So this ghost is trying to hook it up. It's really strange. And I don't know why this entity in this telling has so much invested in the marriage. I really don't know why. But it's more so, it's it seems to be about control. Because one book I started reading, thanks to the Hellier crew, the Newmans, the trickster and the paranormal, George P. Hansen. This book is a really interesting study about the idea of Paranormal energies entering in as a destabling force during a time when things are really up in the air. Like, but they so call just it a liminal you, space. Just when you need it the most. When everything is going to hell, you're like, we could add some more fire to this. They talk about the <laughs> jump up of ghosts. There, there's one good, cool example of talking about the, the high activity of ghost uh, reporting and sightings during the fall of the USSR hmm. and how it like spiked. And there's something about how like the family unit is starting to fall apart. And some, and for some converse way, whatever the poltergeist is, is also building in strength as the family falls apart, which you see now in every modern haunted house story, right? You see it in Amityville Horror, you see it mm-hmm. in The Conjuring. So this idea that once society really starts like shaking up, that's when ghosts like start jamming their fingers two knuckles deep in there. Yeah. And the great great grandson of the Bell Witch turns out he's an ESPN ghost reporter, and he had a <laughs> lot of tough questions for LeBron James about what's next. Los Angeles Lakers NBA champions. No, I, I know, I know, but it's like, does a ghost reporter for ESPN go up to LeBron and say, "LeBron, I've got a message." Kobe says. Fuck you? Whoa! <laughs> he wouldn't say that. <laughs> no, it's why every fucking haunt, like paranormal horror movie these days, is some boring fucking metaphor for grief. Yeah, it's every single one. Every Jesus, single I'm one. so tired of it. Yeah, sometimes I just want to see all like that. I want to see a happy couple get murdered. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <gasps> well, the ghost 
coming in and talking about Richard, which, you know, some people say was just the ghost, the, the bell witch could not stand for Betsy to be happy in any way whatsoever. And they say, well, she would have been happier with uh, Joshua. So, you know, let's push her towards Richard. Uh. And the witch started interfering in Betsy's love life even more. A few months later, the community was gathered on the Bell property for a picnic. And during a lull in the conversation, Joshua Gardner whacked the spoon on the glass and asked for everyone's attention, most likely to announce his intentions for Betsy Bell. This is like a scene from a Rupert Everett comedy where he's just like about to be in like he because he's like the slick. Young yeah. guy that's kind of going to be with the Bitsy Bell. Meanwhile, uh, the, she over, always overlooks the cute, nerdy man who's 25 years her senior because she's a child. <laughs> well, yes, indeed. I want to know the sentence that happened before the weird silence at the picnic where it's like, <laughs> and that's when Samantha was like, can you get the pineapple out of there? You know, and then anyway. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, right. Shut up, Harold. Uh, shut up, Shut up, shut up, I suck, I suck Don't tell the pineapple story anymore. <laughs> but before before Joshua Gardner could say a word, the witch interrupted, saying that marrying Betsy and whisking her way to another land would be a fool's errand, because the witch could and would follow Betsy anywhere in the world. She then signed off, saying, quote, Please don't marry him, Betsy Bell. Don't marry Joshua Gardner! What is this reality show ghost that... Who cares, ghost? Yeah. You're a ghost. You're a witch. Why do you care? Quit being Chris Jenner. Jeez. <laughs> but the interesting thing about this is that the witch had seemed to move on to emotional matters when it came to Betsy Bell. In the realm of the physical, the witch was focusing more and more attention on Betsy's father, John. See, from the moment the witch arrived, John Bell had been afflicted with an intermittent stiffness of the tongue and a sensation that someone was punching him in the jaw. Now, this is there's something about the idea of like old school dental problems that must is that have what been, this is? I mean, <laughs> besides, like if it's ghost or not. There's something about like the like 1820s tooth pain oh, must yeah. have been something else. Well, you just pull it, get get rid of it. But then you don't have anything to pull it but either. They, they didn't have any hard food back then. <laughs> it was all mush. It's weird sorghum. actually. I think there was sorghum. There's a lot of sorghum, but I also think that there's a lot of hard tack. So it's actually <laughs> the opposite. There's incredibly hard food and mush. I see. And there's very little in between unless you were at the time in the Far East where they were inventing noodles. No kidding. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Isn't that fucking great? I love it. Isn't that fucking great? It is great. Honestly, the Italians you... stole the noodles from the Chinese. <laughs> really? I've had a lot of Spring Hill Jack coffee this morning. <laughs> As have I. Thank you uh, to the folks over at Spring Hill Jack Coffee for also sending me a couple of bags. And God damn, that's good coffee. Yes. Well, this will be fun to keep this show together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, first, these spells would last for only a brief moment. So John was able to hide the symptoms from everyone, including his wife. Yeah, because he wasn't like he was doing a lot of cunnilingus. During that five minutes of the day. Mm. Yes. But as time went on, these spells grew longer and more serious. What began as a slight inconvenience soon became the bane of John's existence. Sometimes his tongue would stiffen for 10 to 15 hours at a time, making eating or talking impossible. And his face would contort and twitch. God, and you what? still have to like work the field. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you still have to go every day to well, whatever your age is. Stiff tongue or not a stiff tongue? It's I mean, about, <laughs> there's you're not something about the grass. this is very specific. I don't know why this is so triggering to me. There's I don't something even about, know what it means. It's dental. It is like imagine if your tongue, tongue can't move at all, yeah, at all, and it's painful. like a rock in your mouth. Yeah, it becomes like a rock. It becomes stiff and covered with little boils, and it becomes st- it, like <laughs> you can't move it. And and then your tongue, the side of your mouth and your tongue are swelling. So you're sitting there. You're in constant pain meanwhile in order to just go outside this is the time when everything was buttons you had to wear like three different layers of clothes Oh, too many Mm -hmm. clothes yeah there's a lot of shit going on then you have to go outside and everything takes work you can't go to the piggly wiggly and get milk you had to go pull the milk out of the breasts of a two thousand pound animal every day isn't that something so he had a stiff tongue yeah, well, he also said that sometimes he felt as if an invisible double-pointed stick was shoved crosswise into his mouth so that it stabbed into his jaws. A constant stabbing pain. It'd be a, like a pretzel rod. Kind of like that. And a visible fungus began growing on the back of his tongue that swelled <laughs> his throat. I don't know what it is, but I just don't feel like my wife loves me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a time period, you know, what a time period that could have used mouthwash. Oh, yeah. yeah. Good Lord. But that's not to say the paranormal activity left Betsy Bell completely. On one occasion, in which the family was celebrating the return of brothers John Jr. and Drury, who had just taken a trip to New Orleans, the family oh, I thought saw- you were going to say the war. They just went to New Orleans? Okay. <laughs> yeah, they just went to New Orleans. I was like, yeah. what, I was like what war is going on now? No, technically, yeah, their return trip from New Orleans is very rarely celebrated. It's often a slinking into a dark house where you sit and wonder, like, what exactly you did the four or five days previous. Right, yeah. But as they were celebrating, the family saw lights outside their window. By accounts, the lights were beautiful and flickered slowly as if the lights were dancing. And John Bell Sr. thought that the lights were the slaves having fun. So he went outside to give them compliments on the display. I gotta say, y'all don't normally get points for presentation. (laughs) But I want to say that I really appreciate the flair that y'all been putting into being forced to work for me. Yeah, (laughs) nothing, nothing more fun than that. Isn't that exciting? But once John returned, after seeing that there was nobody outside... Oh, turns out the slaves are not having fun. <laughs> Isn't that, I can't even believe that I thought they would be having fun. Honestly, I just hope that one day they yeah. kind of wake up and be like, you know what, I want to be here, but it I doesn't seem no. to happen. No, they don't have fun too often. Well, once he entered, he heard a loud whisper fill the family room. And so they knew the entity had showed up. Mm. And John Jr. tried asking, what do you want this time? But the whispering only grew louder until a cold draft filled the room and John was thrown to the floor. Fed up with the whole fucking business, John Jr. jumped from his seat and said, quote, You are nothing but a demon that was cast out from the depths of hell here to humiliate our family and torture father and Elizabeth. If you are so strong and mighty, then leave Father and Elizabeth out of it and torture me instead. <laughs> I'm not a coward, but you are. Oh, very cool. Now John Jr.'s blustery display seemed to have worked because the cold wind and whispers stopped immediately. Okay, if you're serious, I guess. <laughs> I was just trying to have fun. You blew up the whole vibe of the whole room. 
<laughs> After that, the bell sat back down to resume their conversation. Because by this point, these sorts of interruptions was just an everyday part of life. Back to court. This is our yes. soft food. It's soft food Wednesday and Friday. We'll go back to hard food. I love this conversation about what we're eating. But then came a scream. It was coming from Betsy's room, and when John Jr. and Drury burst in, they found Betsy crying and trembling, saying that a physical entity completely engulfed in flames had walked into her room and sat down on her bed, burning and burning, but giving off no heat. That's fucking trippy as hell. You've had like nine periods in a row. You're making ghosts everywhere. All of a sudden, a full, like, what's his name uh, from Hereditary? Gabriel Byrne. Oh. Yeah. He just like walks in, just going like, "Do you want to talk about school?" Like he's just absolutely <laughs> covered in flames. Right. That's intense. I was thinking more of the Fantastic Four and the father saying it could be worse, could be the thing <laughs> hanging out in your room. Uh, it's speaking of rock tongues, but then with that guy is didn't it, it was Michael P. Jordan? Michael B. Jordan, I believe, was the last Human Torch. And can you imagine? Then the fire goes out. Then you got Michael B. Jordan in your room, and then it's like you're just like a 14 year old girl, and you're just like, oh, you're nice. Flip it. And then he's scared. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's horrified. <laughs> yeah. Well, John Jr., after Betsy told her story, John Jr. argued with the witch a little bit more and then shouted that the entity should go back to hell and never return, at which point the witch ended her performance for the night. I see when I get a one-star review (laughs) that it's time for me to go home. They could have just leaned in, make a stage, enjoy the performance. What else is going on? Is radio even around yet? Oh, God, no. No, no, no. That's the whole thing is that they have their nightly conversations. That's how they entertain themselves. They sit around the table and they talk and they talk and they talk and they talk. talk. Families talking with with one another. One another. Family speaking like siblings or like a a father and a mom being like, how was your day? Like, what? I guess somebody probably made at some point some kind of xylophone built out of the bones of one of their uncles and would play it. I know they had guitars. Oh, my sister is the best gift giver I've ever met. Of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it. But guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional. And we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, 
you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse picks over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I, I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction. And it's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins. As soon as I wake up, and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs, which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash LastPod. Now, around the same time as the appearance of the flame creature, Reverend Thomas Gunn visited the bell home and asked the witch again what it was and what it wanted with the bells. That was the number one question every everyone asks. What are you and what do you want? I ask myself that question fucking three times a week. Absolutely. <laughs> Never an answer, though. Nope. No answers. But instead of giving Reverend Gunn the runaround, the witch was surprisingly frank, saying that she was indeed... Kate Batts' witch! Man, Whoa! under... Uh, 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 uh. You know what that sound is? Somebody got thrown over the fucking bus. Really? <laughs> yeah. Why? That's not good. Now, upon this revelation, the room gasped. But Reverend Gunn wasn't so quick to believe. When he asked the witch why everyone should think she was telling the truth, the witch said, quote, Because I am tired of lying, and you deserve the truth more than any other man in this room. I am old Kate Batts' witch for certain. It was she, dancing around the pentagram, mm. who conjured me here. Butt cheeks can do a lot. <laughs> I tell you what, yep. I, I am going to admit I could not pick myself up by my own bootstraps. I actually did mm. come from other help. Okay. <laughs> 
And when the Reverend Gunn asked why Kate summoned the witch, she said, quote, Why to torment her enemy, John Bell, to torment him to his death. Honestly, that's pretty freaking cool, dude. I would yeah, love man. to get a couple of witches and stuff. Oh, yeah. I have spices, but I always get drunk and I put them in my spaghetti. That's so cooking. That's just <laughs> cooking food. Well, I know, but I'm saying I have a bunch of spices. Yeah, that that's, could called, that's stuff for the kitchen. That could possibly be used in spells. Have you started like boiling spaghetti and making meals for yourself? I'm I'm boiling. How else do you make spaghetti? <laughs> you don't bake it. I'm boiling spaghetti. Yes, You actually can bake spaghetti. I am not doing that. No, you can't. It's yes, over. you can. Yes, you can. Spaghetti pie. Whatever. Yes, I boil water and I put spaghetti in it and then I put marinara. Beautiful. I go to Ralph's. Yeah. yeah. I go to Ralph's. Gotta go to Ralph's. Good plug. Yeah. yeah. I hear that. They, need, they need the help. And so after that exchange, the witch would always answer to the name Old Kate. Now, by late 1819, the witch expanded her repertoire and introduced four new characters to the show with suitably cryptic names. The boss was Black Dog, a take-charge character who bossed around the others with a harsh tone and harsh language. Cool. Yeah, I see things like ass. Whoa, (laughs) you are the boss. You get the ass out of here and you bring the ass expenses reports to me. Man, I respect you. <laughs> but. <laughs> Under Black Dog was Cypocryphy, the jokester and town gossip who spoke in a high-pitched feminine voice. You got something bad to say, you just come sit next to me. <laughs> All right, I'll tell you what's going on, because I know the whole town will hear about it. <laughs> oh, my. Next came Mathematics who discussed logic and religion. I create dry pussies. Yeah, why don't you just get out of here? Just get out, just get out of yeah, here. Yeah, I should yeah. go. Why don't you just go? I'm just going to go hang myself by my underwear on the uh, hook on the door. There you go. You got it. it. Saves us a lot of trouble. And at the bottom was Jerusalem, who had a boy's voice and insisted that he always told the truth and therefore was usually berated by the others. Back to children's voice. <laughs> a long time ago, I used to do more child voice I hate because your children's it's voice. so it's vulnerable. Not, it's not vulnerable. It's no, disgusting. It's, this is the way boys is, talk. I went into the not bathroom the, way boys talk. the other day. And why was it bigger? You went into the men's room. Perhaps it wasn't your kindergarten why is bathroom. All, why is my oh, uncle Greg always trying to teach me how to play naked golf? You're being molested. <laughs> so that's actually very serious what's happening there. Well, But the problem here was that, at the very least, mathematics had quite the drinking problem. Yeah. <laughs> I can see it. <laughs> Although all of them drank, and they often got into drunken arguments from time to time. Are they? What are they drinking? These is it ghost ghost booze. It's, it's a whole performance that is highly strange. We see we saw a little bit again. Go back into Jeff. Going back to Jeff the Talking Mongoose, like they would kind of sit, okay. and you'd see these <laughs> sort of massive. It's going to become like deeper and deeper. It's like the whole talk is going to become the same. But he, the idea that they would sit and in this interpretation of the story, there would be like a sonic like show where they would see and hear like all of these voices talk to each other and they hear like glasses clinking and them going go, cool. gulp, 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 and clink, clink, clink. And like, so there would Sounds kind like of a round table of gentlemen. It literally <laughs> is. 
Usually, it would start with Black Dog and Mathematics slurring at one another in surly tones. And pretty soon, the others, also drunk, would join in. But it wasn't like they were drinking their own imaginary liquor. This usually only happened when there was booze in the Bell House. And any time John Bell brought even a little bit of whiskey home, the four voices would soon begin boozy brawls while the sounds of animals and clattering pots and pans filled the air. Seriously, it's a murder <laughs> fist rehearsal. I, I, these days, man, I just remember like if this one person, fun, if, when one person had a handle of Jim Bean back in the day and how that was like gold it was and we, gold and we never like because we could never pull enough resources to get the $40 a handle, bottle that's a, that's a lot of money man it's 28 bucks or something like that any idea and then when one guy had it and then all of a sudden you're like give it us this is for us now it's for the group <laughs> isn't now. that funny how that works yep. yeah uh-huh. But before you say it, just stop bringing booze into the house. Yeah, what is this? Some kind of horse shit? Telling me I got a problem? <laughs> no, no one's telling you that telling you... Telling me I got a fucking I drink problem? I never thought you had a problem until you start, started screaming, telling me that I have a problem? Yeah. I never said that you had a problem. You are seeming to tell me that you have a problem. I saw a really funny but true saying on an ice cream cone popsicle stick the other day I said I don't have a drinking problem I got a drinking solution and I just laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed this is just I'm happy you're my dad I'm happy you're my dad you're my son before you say just stop bringing booze into the house the four sometimes stole whiskey from the neighbors, or so they said. <laughs> they said they usually stole it from uh, John Gardner, who lived about four miles away. And when they did that, they'd show up at the Bell home, maudlin and sentimental. Why the, the worst kind of drunk. Why aren't we talking about the haunting of John Gardner? <laughs> That's the only horror that I've heard so far. This poor bastard's four miles away. He can't get any freaking booze because all these goddamn ghosts from the other fucking Bell Farm are drinking all of his freaking juice. And then they show up, and they're not even like fun drunks. They're all just being like, Things were better before. Oh, yeah, get out like, of here. You're like, yeah, y'all. Do you even remember how good Weezer used to be back when we were young? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Way back in the day. Weezer and Flaming Lips saw that concert together. They were together on Mushrooms. Going to say on Mushrooms, Flaming Lips, a little bit better than Weezer. Of course. Uh, Weezer almost uh, offensively. Uh, it, it almost treats, they almost treat the audience as if we're so stupid. Content. They hate us. Yeah, they hate us. Content. Yeah, they they write music for they started writing music for stupid people and then got mad that stupid people started showing up. What did you expect with Beverly Hills? What did you expect? What did you expect? I don't know. I so now that the <laughs> <laughs> we'll save this corner so that now, conversation. Yeah, yeah. So now that the Bells had five characters to deal with instead of just the one, John figured it was time to give up and just fucking leave. Just leave the farm. But the witch insisted that she would follow old Jack, as she called him, to the ends of the earth. Oh, my God. So while some neighbors abandoned the bells completely because they were either scared or just fucking bored of the whole situation, other neighbors pitched in. Every night, no less than four people would drop by to engage the four voices or the witch herself in conversation, just so John Bell could get a little relief. And as far as the four went, they treated these visits like performances. Every evening, each voice would introduce itself with a song. Oh, my God. <gasps> this is fun. Point, it does sound fun. The Very first fun. night. The first night. 
And then, <laughs> what are you talking about? It's like living with the Carter family. It's, you don't think the song is like living it with is. the Carter family, but they also were they were filled with trauma. Mm. And the songs don't change. So the first time but the you're audience like, changes, Henry. No, it's like being on the carousel of progress where every day you go to the job. And yeah, do I love the carousel of progress? Yes, I you do. You better, yeah. But then sometimes you sit in the carousel of progress because it's 95 degrees outside and you just need a chance to like get away from the heat. So you just sit in there for hours and hours and hours on end. And eventually you begin to see how your brain begins to fall apart as you start going just against your own will. Just, it's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow. <laughs> Shining at the end of every day. And then you do this every night. And your daughter's got the monarchy. And you got tongue fungus. Well, it's a tough <laughs> life, but somebody's got to live it. Also, not nearly as hard as the slaves have it. <laughs> we do need to point that out. At every turn, yeah. Yes, we do have to point out there are actual people suffering here. But after the song, the voices would usually just argue with each other using obscene language and blasphemy. And the whole thing would end only when Black Dog threatened to murder the other three. What is Damn. this, a Modest Mouse concert? <laughs> <laughs> That's Isaac actually Brock Marcus's story. Drinking That's problem. Yes, indeed. Sometimes it comes to stage performance. But I gotta say, love that modest mouse. <laughs> What's well, we were good one time. The this other is time, not so we, much. Have we become a Gen X podcast? <laughs> yeah. But at the end of each argument, Black Dog would give commands, ordering each spirit to commit, quote, errands of devilry yeah. across the land, <laughs> but would always save one spirit to do devilment amongst the bells. Ooh. However, it wasn't all bad. Sometimes the voices would stay sober and treat the house to a delightful concert, singing hymns as a quartet in delightful, rich harmonies that could rival the most talented singers in Tennessee. You can see how stories like this must actually have inspired stuff like the Haunted Mansion. Mm-hmm. And this like idea of, because there's a folksiness to the story that it, it, it's a part of, I, I guess, why we, we kind of Americanize it. Like this idea that it has to be like a balls to the wall, full entertainment force. That's not only right. slapping and harming and doing all this other shit, but it also, it puts on a show and it creates <laughs> money for the Bell family because yes. people show up, even though John Bell Sr. was specifically saying, stop giving us money. I don't want money. I don't want to do this. Stuff. It's but interesting that was the to reverse. See. That was he. He wanted the money. That's how he got it. Yes. Yeah. He'd be mm-hmm. like, I'm just a humble man. And my tongue <laughs> is as, as stiff as my penis is not. Oh, poor guy. You imagine if you have a tongue for a penis and a penis for a tongue. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? I don't know, but I guess we're going to have to cut to that sketch now. (laughs) Now, even though most of the community who stuck by the bells were resigned to keep the status quo, others wanted to get proactive with the situation because John Bell was getting visibly worse by the day. The face twitches were starting to spread to the rest of his body where his arms would contort and they would just snap up. He had no control. Okay, not to be a downer here, but is it Lou Gehrig's? Does he have ALS? <laughs> Does he have some kind of condition? Well, one, well, I was going to talk a little bit later on, but the truth is, is that he might have suffered from, it's this specific syndrome that he might have gotten. It's like osteoporosis. I forgot what the name of it is. It's like he got a bone, and it sounds like a bone infection Ugh. in his face. That He got like <laughs> blood poisoning. Uh, something happened good. to him. So he is... 
in a tremendous amount of pain. Okay. And they talk about how when we've, and I've warned you, Kissel, uh, that dental, you pro- dental problems lead to massive systemic health failures in the body. This is That's the true. first time you've told me that. I will say it again to you. <laughs> it's that dental problems can sometimes, it leads to heart failure, it leads to all this other shit. So I wonder if the is actually like the infection is spreading. Yeah. Throughout and it could him. be. And, and we'll talk later on how, you know, a lot of this stuff might have had real world explanations. Oh. Well, the friends who wanted to get proactive tried talking the poltergeist out of the haunting, believing if they only found the right combination of words, the right argument, the witch would simply see the folly of its ways and vanish. Good luck. One neighbor, John Johnston, actually built quite the rapport with the spirit. And presented here is a recreation of one of their conversations, starting with Mr. Johnston. Why do you want to see John Bell dead? Let us just say that I dislike him enough to kill him. Do you not know, Kate, that John Bell is one of the most respected, well-liked men in all of this land? I do. And that is why he needs killing. (laughs) And do you propose to kill Betsy Bell as well? No. Why do you think that I would kill Betsy? Because you torture her and follow her wherever she goes. Shout at her, slap her, and pull her hair. You have forbidden her to marry. I certainly think that proves you hate her. Perhaps I am jealous, as a suitor would be. Don't lovers often bat each other about playfully? I have never known any man who loves a woman to act as such. How do you know I am a man? Well, you're certainly not a woman. The way you curse and hit and act like you're drunk. Are you a man? I am a spirit. I live in the wind and in the water, inside houses and out in heaven and hell. I am all things and nothing. Hell yeah, man. What is this? Heaven and hell, dude. James Dio, <laughs> man. Yeah, yeah. Dio, man. Dio, man. Dio. Honestly, it sounds like having a debate. Someone from the other side. It does indeed. It sounds like a very intense debate. So no gender here, just a spirit. Mm. Now, really, that conversation didn't accomplish a whole lot, and it, it actually made and it actually made things worse. <laughs> really, it always does. <laughs> really, because the day after that conversation, John was struck with some of the worst stabbing pains in his mouth that he'd yet encountered, and his throat swelled so much he could barely breathe. Now, if you'll remember from the last episode, John Johnston wasn't the only one who tried to help. You had ghost bro, Frank Miles, who tried to beat the ghost to death. (laughs) And he returned to the house around this time to try and convince John Bell to leave the Red River. Listen, dude, it's kind of like cutting weight when you're trying to build muscle. The whole fucking shit, dude, is that sometimes it's like, like, look at your situation and you have to like, think about like, do I cut carbs right now or do I carb up? Uh, Right now for me, if I was going to say this, if I was going to make sort of nutritional plan for you before like a ghost and your like situation of leaving, I would like cut the carbs of this situation and like move out. I think that makes all the sense in the world. (laughs) But as Frank made his case, he was struck by the witch so hard he was thrown out of his chair. Whoa! And the witch herself then gave a summation of this escape plan directly to John Bell, saying, quote, If you think you can avoid me, then you better have, for I mean to give you a lot worse on the morrow. Try your best to hide from me, and all together we will prove to old Jack whether or not a person can escape. Well, you know, witch, that is the problem, isn't it? 
<laughs> the way that you're so mean to me there. See now, but you like it, don't you? I am getting used to it. Welcome to marriage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> However, the Bells weren't the only ones on the plantation being harassed by the witch. As we said last episode, the witch, for some unknown reason, hated the enslaved people living on the Bell's land, and they began taking measures to protect themselves. One man named Zeke started making what were known as witch balls for everyone to carry, which were reportedly vile-smelling things made of animal excrement, human semen, spit, sulfur, foxfire, and camphor. And all these things together was supposed to ward off evil spirits. Ah, Interesting. The old spicy baseball. I love a spicy baseball. <laughs> yes. Just slathered in baby batter and a mm-hmm. lot of shit. And, but you know what? Ghosts go away. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, if it works, it works. Who am I to judge? These witch balls, however, failed to do their job for an enslaved man named Dean. He was walking along the Red River one day when the dog creature that had first appeared to John Bell at the beginning of all this returned. (gasps) But this time, it spoke and reprimanded Dean for carrying a witch ball. I'll tell you what, you being a bad boy. You being (laughs) a bad boy holding that witch ball down because a good boy wouldn't do that. Good boy, we bring a big black dog's treats. Oh, Bongo the big black dog, you're so cute. <laughs> Dean's charm then began to swell until he could no longer hold it. And when he placed it on the ground, the charm burst into flames. Whoa. Then the creature snarled and prepared to pounce. But Dean took the axe he was carrying and brought it down on the specter's head. Nice. Splitting it in two and sending blood splattering all over the riverbank. Woo! And even though it disappeared just after John split its head open, when Dean saw it again, the creature had adapted to its wounds by growing an extra head. Multiple heads! I gotta tell you what, thank you so much for splitting my head in half, because now I got a friend. You do have a friend, isn't that nice? What do you do when you have to go to the bathroom, though? It's kind of uncomfortable, you guys gotta go to the bathroom together, even if you don't have to go to the bathroom. You know what, me and my new friend, we don't judge each other, and sometimes (laughs) a friend's gotta fought. And you just gotta be okay with it because it's your friend. Oh, Bongo the Wonder Dog. What's the name of your other friend? Adolf Hitler. Bongo and Adolf Hitler. Well, that name's gonna come come back and have a role in it's history. It's a very nice name. It, it technically why. was at one point. Yeah, it sort of got ruined there. Now, by 1820, the witch had become kind of just a constant, tedious presence in the house that sometimes tortured everyone's father. And it took no new voices or personalities. In fact, when the Bells had their nightly discussions, the witch would join in with reasonable contributions. It just gets to a point where, I mean... The son I never had. All the women on The View at some point have to agree. They really do. They won't, though. Not good for TV. Wow, that show is hard to watch. It is. Mm -hmm. The witch would also sing often and sing well. And by this point in time, the witch's voice had actually become much sweeter, as if it had grown fond of everyone in the Bell family, except, of course, John Bell. Well, at this point, the life of a father, I mean, even today, but especially in the 1800s, was to suffer. You make money for the family and you suffer. Yeah. And then the family is doing the family is doing fine. I think this guy's just gotta suck it up and just be like, kids are happy. I'm miserable. (laughs) Ain't that America? What it's supposed to be, but I I wonder because but at the time we're still like in a deeply patriarchal society. So I I wonder because I do feel like the family also is kind of working to please the father Mm. in some way, shape, or form Mm. as well. But for the most part, fathers just die of cancer. Of course Mm -hmm. they do, yeah. 
Then the witch began actually saving lives, particularly the lives of people around Betsy. In May of 1820, the witch saved Betsy and Richard Bell from being crushed by a tree by appearing when the siblings were riding through a storm and giving them an alternate, safer route in which no trees would fall. Like ways. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's very nice. Then, one of the most infamous elements of the Bell Witch legend was introduced. Although this location played a small part in the original saga, the 20th century Bell Witch sightings would revolve around Bell Witch Cave. On the LPN show this week, I spoke with Jay Wosley from Ghost Adventures, and they talked about their he, and he talked about his experiences at the Bell Witch Cave, and he's he is assured that it's legit. Really? Yes. Very cool conversation. So about a month after the storm, a few youngsters, along with Betsy Bell, were exploring a cave on the Bell property when a nine-year-old boy named Johnny Yoes broke from the group, walked into a small passageway, and dislodged a bunch of dirt that soon buried him alive. <gasps> Man, there were so many ways to die in 1820. So, so many ways, yeah. Now, Betsy immediately tried finding the child, but had no way of knowing where he was. And it was at that moment that the room lit up, and Betsy heard the witch say, quote, I'll fetch him out. She became Lassie. You're going to go fetch him out of there. Wow, that's amazing. Now, from Johnny O's perspective, he was suffocating under a mound of dirt when he felt a pair of strong hands take hold of his ankles and pull him a dozen feet past the opening of the collapsed passageway. The boy was saved. Whoa. And Betsy gave all the credit to the witch, making sure to tell Johnny Yo's that he'd better keep his goddamn mouth shut if he wanted to keep coming back to the obviously deadly cave. Well, now, why couldn't he talk about how the witch was good? Well, it's because, number one, it would make her father mad because her father was getting tortured by the witch. But I also wonder because Betsy seems to start creating, she's starting to spin her own version of mm-hmm. the witch story. And I think that's going to factor into why this activity, whatever this mm-hmm. activity is, it seems to be that she is kind of setting it up. That maybe the Bell Witch is not all that bad, and the Bell Witch maybe just kind of exists as a means to an end for some other purpose. Yeah, so far, I mean, it's really just messing with the dead, and there's some, some fun shows going on. I mean, the Bell Witch keeps, isn't that bad. It keeps slapping Betsy. I mean, like, it's been slapping her for two years now. Mm. Now, by this point, Betsy was pretty much out of the woods when it came to attacks from the witch because the attention had been placed almost completely on John Bell. But where Betsy's attacks were relatively mild, because slaps are survivable, John Bell was dying from his attacks. So the family decided to get weird with it and brought in Kentucky's premier necromancer, Dr. Solomon Mice. Cool. Yes, it's like mice, but cool. Mice, <laughs> indeed. Now, Mice was a bit of a character, a bearded little fat man who wore a frock coat a size too big and a broad-brimmed hat that cast a shadow over his face that he used for dramatic effect. It's the priest from The Exorcist. <laughs> I love that. But yeah, he is dressed it's not like the priest it. from The Exorcist. That's it. that guy's way too cool. This is fucking Ignatius J. Riley. If he was a fucking paranormal oh, investigator, let me stick up the for him. Of I'm sticking up for him. He technically had the same exact fashion sense as the wind-up clock dude from the Return to Oz. <laughs> <laughs> that dude scared the shit out of me, like that movie. I'm actually going to watch that in October. I'm going to rewatch that movie. That movie is scary as hell. It's a good one. It's solid. 
Now, the reason why Dr. Mize showed up on the Bell Farm was because Drury and James Johnston traveled all the way to Kentucky to petition the wizard personally. Oh. And so, 10 days later, Dr. Mize arrived at the Bells with all the accoutrement of a 19th century ghostbuster. This is so cool. Yeah. I think there's something about the, the historical precedent of the Ghostbuster as like yeah. a part of this where it's like now it's like it's time for science and you can see the kids going through his briefcase and be like what's this he'd be like that's a stethoscope he'd be like what's this ooh that's to monitor the air and then they're like what's this he's like that's just a sausage I always travel with my sausage that's <laughs> oh, Dr. Sausage oh Dr. Sausage <laughs> Dr. Sausage is the best because they know they're doing something naughty yeah they know it it's for cheat day now, Dr. Mize brought a small wooden windmill that was supposed to spin when the spirit passed, but it was so sensitive that just walking by it would activate the mechanism. He mm. also had a box filled with tubes of different colored liquids that he said would change color when the witch was present. I hope the New Kirks are listening to this episode because it legitimately sounds like all of their tech. It sounds like all <laughs> yeah. the ghost boxes and all this kind of shit. It really does sound like modern, like the old, ancient, old-timey version of modern day ghost hunting technology he's gonna find yeah. a witch or throw one hell of a rave either way it's gonna be a good time <laughs> none of it worked it was all bullshit yeah i go back home now but it's the stuff where like i am so torn about ghost boxes because they are both interesting but they also just sound like i know the whole point is that they're supposed to be random and if you do read the trickster and the paranormal the whole thing is about embracing the random and embracing the chaos in the middle and trying to decide whether or not you're going to apply meaning because this book gets in a whole long thing about how, like, we just assume words. Like, it goes over to words having meanings. So they say that, like, you know, oh, this can means can. Like, you label a can as a can, and therefore it is the can, even though technically the word can, it's just this label. And technically what it would need is a sense of telepathy in order to adhere meaning to the can and the word can at the same time. You are one step away from yelling at an ash at an ash. Tray, like in that Scientology <laughs> documentary. Uh, get, up, get up! Get up! Get up! Get up! Interesting, though, indeed. But the, actually, yeah, the, none of his little toys worked, and the witch gave him absolutely nothing for three days. Oh, come on. To explain this away, Dr. Mize declared that his aura was so powerful <laughs> that the spirit had been scared off by his mere presence. I want to find out if his name was changed and he's not a Zabrowski. Like, if he's not. <laughs> Even so, Dr. Mize continued with the conjuring and the spells, burning various pungent herbal mixtures while reciting Bible passages to no effect. Hmm. And finally, as a way to appear as if he'd done something, Dr. Mize took a shotgun belonging to the bells that no longer worked and declared it hexed. This is Whoa, the shit. Oh, that's the problem? This is the fucked shit. The shotgun? And I'm going to take this fuck shit outside to my fuck shit lodge. No kidding. <laughs> I'm going to reverse it. Well, wow, see. you're going to reverse that, huh? So he then cleaned the gun and physically repaired it himself until it fired perfectly. He just fixed the gun. But <laughs> well, he's still that's actually, that's important to that's do. That's actually way more that's, useful than yeah, stopping the ghost. Absolutely. But he still claimed that it only worked because he had removed the hex by ways of biblical sorcery. Actually, I mean, this guy was the opposite of science. He was a magic. He declared himself a magician and all of his power came from the Bible, from Jesus. 
Well, he seems like a mechanic. He's a mechanic. He's got a mechanic mind. Spiritual mechanic. Yeah. He's like some guy from somewhere in Alabama. I love him. <laughs> I prayed for your car. That's going to be $500, please. Well, they do charge for it. But on the fourth day, the witch, after getting a good idea of what Mize's game was, made herself known by appearing behind the wizard and yelling, Boo! Whoa! Is this the first time anyone's ever said boo? Is this the first? <laughs> is this the first witch? Because now it's just like boo. Everyone's like boo. Yeah. Some witch had to say it. Let me actually one say time it. first. That's first true. example of the word boo. boo. <laughs> it's such a great word. It's so it's a great short. Word. It's boo. Really gets well, you. According to the dictionary, it's it's just an expression. It's an ex- to express contempt or disapproval. No, that's yeah. just what we boo. get when we do live that's shows. Booing. Boo. No, no, I don't want to know boo the boyfriend. The boyfriend term. Oh, on Halloween. Ooh. Boo. Oh, to, actually, it was used in writing as early as the 1500s. No kidding. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Isn't that fucking fascinating? It is kind of <laughs> fascinating. When the witch said boo, the tiny sorcerer jumped up in the air in fright, at which point Black Dog appeared and the battle of wits began. You're so fat. You stood around the house. Oh, I needed wow. someone to say how fat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, you're how, fat, how fat are you? Fuck this. No, it's ruined. Fuck this. Yeah, how fat <laughs> are you? Fuck you, piece of shit. You're a piece uh, of shit. You are, you're going to die a little earlier than most people who aren't as fat. That's the true roast. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports, and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. And isn't that what matters most? Better writing means a stronger impact. Grammarly works across 500,000 apps and websites. You can't escape it. Like the ever-pervasing octopus of malice that is the NSA. Grammarly is watching your every move, making sure that you're doing it right. Data privacy and security are woven into the foundation of Grammarly, into the very essence of its nature. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner, and it helps your team make their point and move faster, because that's the key there. Work smarter, not harder. Yes, Grammarly. You know how many times it saves me from writing a long, rambling, one-sentence email at 4 o'clock in the morning to my beloved employees? Makes me sound like someone who doesn't just have a BA in theater. All right, I was taught how to be a tree. I was not taught how to survive as an adult. All right, my job was to cry in front of a weird Southern man who just told me all sorts of weird stuff about my body. I didn't learn how to write. So thank you, Grammarly, because you're making me the boss I gotta be to motivate my team to get out there. Oh, man, you don't want to mess with them. Thanks, Grammarly. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free. Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. It's a waste. Don't waste hours on apps. 
besides appetizers. That's the kind of apps I like. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Did you know that empanada is already Spanish? I didn't. Thanks, Babbel. Did you know that burrito is already Spanish? Wow. I just got to learn all the rest. And eventually, I'm going to be eating downtown Mexico. Thanks, Babbel. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash left. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash left, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash L-E-F-T. Rules and restrictions may apply. The spirit started by asking Dr. Mize if he was truly a conjurer. And when he said he was... The wizard and the spirit began arguing over their knowledge of ancient rituals and Bible passages, with Mize claiming that his powers, spells, incantations, and potions all relied on biblical power. Man, I just don't understand. All occultists are exactly the same. They just take it to spiritual Twitter to fucking argue. But Black Dog dismissed Dr. Mize's power by saying that many had already tried banishing the spirit with Christian energies, and all had failed. Mm. It then began criticizing Dr. Mize's sorcery itself, saying, quote, I have smelt your incense and your potions. You've mixed them incorrectly. You've left out critical ingredients. You fucking noob. What is this? Fool us with <laughs> pen and teller? Why are you doing this to me? Pwned. Jeez. Of course, Mize was insulted and incredulously asked Black Dog if it knew both about being a demon and the spells to get rid of demons. How do you know about both? Black Dog then called him a piece of dog shit and compared him to an uncooked sausage. This is all the book. You call me an uncooked sausage one more time and I am burning this house down. This is all in an authenticated history. They, they wrote, like, he was called a dog dropping, called him an uncooked sausage. This is, this is fucking brutal. He's being a real Greg Geraldo. I yeah. had no, roast mode, I had no idea how hurtful it would be to be called an uncooked sausage until this deity told this per- man this. I didn't even know that could be a slur, but my God, that's in the repertoire now. It is. Then, you, unca- you uncooked sausage. Man, somebody just, just, you I get out. How dare you say it old wads of front of my wife. <laughs> Good, I'm using that at the sports bar this year. Then the ghost black dog just fucking railed on the poor little magician's skills in what seems to be one of the ghost's longest communications. Have not hundreds better than you strive to move me from where I choose to abide? Have I not heard all the spells in my centuries of life? Where in your mixtures are black bones and honey? Where's the fly pole? The blind worm blood, even tobacco, which you could pluck right outside the door. Where are your knots? <laughs> your belt, book, and candle. Why call me a witch if you think I don't know all the charms? Why don't you get that blunderbuss and blow the room apart with it, you rotten heap of donkey meat? Then I'll give your fat bottom a ride on my foot. <laughs> <laughs> and what a ride that would oh, yeah. be. <laughs> The witch then kept the wizard up all night with a torrent of insults about his abilities and his appearance. You look like the unfuckable version of Wario. Oh, isn't that sad? Wario had a lot of power. I bet you he also pulled down quite a bit of wonderful friendships. (laughs) 
<laughs> but there was one final indignity in store for the marvelous Dr. Mize. The next morning, when Dr. Mize was getting on his horse, ready to go, oh, leaving in defeat with his horse. Getting on his little pony. The horse. I brought all my vials of colored yeah, liquid I and I had a windmill, and you're sitting here telling me I'm fat and I'm a dog poop. I'm not a dog poop. I'm not a dog poop. No, you're a dog poop. But the horse wouldn't budge. And that's when Dr. Mize heard the witch one more time. She said, quote, Do you need help? Oh, honorable doctor, let me give your horse a slap and send her quickly on her way. And maybe I'll come along with you a piece. The horse then reared off and took <laughs> off like a shot with Dr. Mize hanging on for dear life. And the witch afterward bragged for weeks about the torments she'd placed upon poor old Dr. Mize. It just seems like the dad needs to die and everyone will be having fun. I feel like if the bell witch is real, the bell witch has got to be like the fucking like Malcolm X for ghosts. You know what I mean? Like this fucking uncompromising like bell witch. Every single ghost hunter comes in there, fucking humiliates them. Like the bell witch really has to be like an inspiration sure. for other hauntings. Absolutely. <laughs> now, after Dr. Mize, the season of the witch was coming to an end for the bells. But before that was to happen, they had one more notable visitor. In late summer of 1820, future president Andrew Jackson visited oh, the Bell Farm. It's tonight. old-timey Trump. Look at that. <laughs> well, I like what you've done here when it comes to the quarters and the keeping of the people. And they don't want, they want to leave, but you but keep you them. Keep I them like them what you've done there. Andrew Jackson visited the Bell Farm to experience the witch for himself. And he brought along seven friends. One of whom was so unsavory that Richard Powell, who later wrote of the experience, he neglected to make record of his name. But he did go so far as to say, and there was one especially unsavory one that I will not mention. But the unsavory ones, they love that. <laughs> yes, they do. They work in the shadows. So on that day, Jackson and his seven 19th century frat boys all showed up at the Bell Farm on a wagon pulled by four horses. But as they approached the property, the horses refused to move, to which Jackson laughed and said the witch had already come to visit. Ooh. The witch then appeared, released her hold on the horses, and said that she was glad the general understood and that she would speak with him again later that night. And so that evening, the future president sat around the Bell's dinner table and heard stories about the witch. This is literally like back in the day, the equivalent of like, that's the kind of guy I want to have a beer with. Like, (laughs) sure. After hearing a suitable amount, the aforementioned unsavory companion began bragging that he'd beaten off spiritual forces in the past by killing a cat and using its tail to ward off spirits. And he wasn't afraid to do it again. I hate cats, and I hate (laughs) ghosts, and I hate underwear, and I hate women. (laughs) By beating off the ghost, now what exactly do you mean? You jerked off the ghost, you beat it off there, you jerked it off. I'll jerk it off again, I'll jerk you off, I'll jerk me off. Wow, you got my vote. This man then pulled the dead cat's tail out of his pocket and pressed it close to his nose, claiming it would warn him when the witch was near, all while saying that situations such as this one right here was why his pistol was always loaded with silver bullets. 
Wait, this is what's on. known. What was the situation? This is just this is what's known in back in the day as being um I believe the medical term is a douche. A douche. <laughs> a douche. <laughs> the idea of saying that you have just been like, yeah, and that's why I always got silver bullets in case werewolves try to come and make me right. gay again. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, you want to be careful for that. At this point, Andrew Jackson told him to shut the fuck up because he was bored, and the unsavory fellow was a coward and a braggart besides, and Jackson wished that the goddamn witch would just show up already. Oh. oh. Well, he's got a lot of time. He, you know, he's got a lot to think about, you know, when it comes to... <laughs> Taking people's freedoms away and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's when the witch showed up. She said, quote, General, first of all, fuck you. <gasps> I'm just going to put that in there throughout history. What? General, I am here as promised and ready for business. And that business would be this bag of hot wind. With that tail up against your nose, your little pocket mouth looks like the cat's asshole. I thought it was. This is not even me improving. No, this is from the authenticated history. Looks like a cat's asshole. I thought it was supposed to warn you when I was near. I've been standing behind you for the past quarter hour, pudding head. Yeah, I guess my cat asshole is broken. I'm going to have to go get another cat asshole that probably isn't broken. Pudding head is another good term. It really yeah. is. Yeah. You That's an old time sausage. One. Yeah, what would you know, you uncooked sausage? Shut up! <laughs> well, once the witch made this threat, the unsavory fellow started shaking and pulled out his pistol. The witch dared him to shoot, but when he pulled the trigger, it didn't fire. Ooh. Yeah, it's the witch said, it had try silver, again. It had silver bullets in it. Yeah. No, silver bullets fire, I think. I don't think they actually, I don't know. I, mean, I think it's silver-tipped are- bullets. That's what it is. It's not the bullet casings that are silver, it's the tips. They fire silver. Sure. <laughs> I've seen Monster Squad, but I didn't know if that was real or not. Well, it's definitely real. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't it have to be a, a bullet. Town. It could be a silver-tipped arrow. It could be a silver-tipped anything, as long as it enters the creature with force. Silver-tipped mm. anything? <laughs> <laughs> you want cook sausage? Yeah, dildos. <laughs> He's talking about dildos. <laughs> well, after Dredd shooting once, he tried again, and still no shot came. And that's when the witch said it was her turn. <gasps> Using the same force she'd used hundreds of times before, the witch pulled the braggart up into the air by his nose and slapped him before dropping him back down to the floor. She then picked him up by the nose again, this time sticking her invisible fingers up his nostrils, causing them to flare out. This is fun as hell. I love it. He needs to be taught a lesson. The witch then led him around the room by his nose, holding him up just high enough where he could twiddle along on his tiptoes, flailing his arms and crying about how she was going to break his nose. My nose is going to break. They're going me. This is a really good idea. This is a really good way to just fucking demolish somebody's entire ego. There's just something instinctively, and I don't know why this is, or maybe it's just in me, but when people are complaining about how you're hurt them it makes it funny and then you're like yes and you're like you're gonna break my nose and i'm like that makes it so much better like if they would be like i don't even care about this i'd be like yeah well go down i don't even want to mess with your nose but the fact that they get so upset about it it really is half the fun it's when a, it's like when a bully meets a bully and then a bully gets bullied and then they go like that's funny it's such a like funny what happened thing. in a christmas story yes yes yeah. don't lick the cold pole <laughs> 
we got to get to Christmas. I don't want to think about Christmas. Okay. (laughs) Well, the front door then swung open and the braggart was escorted outside and released. He ran down the road as everyone in the house doubled over in laughter and the braggart (laughs) never returned to the bell farm or Andrew Jackson's side ever again. So Jackson did lose a vote, though. So he did lose a constituent there. It's just very very telling to see a guy that does the same thing where he calls all of the people that are closest to him losers Uh and like fuck faces. And then they they always like flip on him. It's like this weird thing about like history where it seems to like repeat itself. It could. It could. Now, not too long after the visit from Jackson, matriarch Lucy Bell came down with a terrible case of pleurisy, which is a painful condition. Pleurisy. It's a painful condition in which the lungs become inflamed and it hurts to breathe. You can still get pleurisy. I thought she was was forced to say everything in, in, uh, I don't even know how to do this joke. (laughs) I want to make a joke about doing like plural. You're trying to make a phonics joke? I'm trying to make a phonics joke. Be like, oh, she has to call all, she has to call all, if she sees a mouse, she calls it a mice. And uh, if she sees it, she sees a... The artist, when he approaches his work <sighs> every day, and this is the truth, is that every day you want to reinvent yourself and you want to figure out who, what kind of artist do I want to be today? And Kissel <laughs> wants to be the, the, the leading comedian on verbiage and phonics use. And yeah, today, yeah. it's look not that, your day. It's not no, your day today. No, it's not my day, no. But, oh, there's, we, well, there's, a, there's one hippo in the field, but look at those hippos. <laughs> uh, I guess I've been hit with pluralism. Pluricist. I've getting hit with pluruses. Pleurisy, you're, getting cut, you're getting kicked off the show. You uncooked sausage? <laughs> well, some thought that the witch had turned her attentions to Lucy after Lucy had done kind of like a come at me ghost in the hopes that the witch would stop killing her husband. Take me instead. Get me. But to the contrary, the witch actually took care of Lucy. It sweetly sang to Lucy often and offered advice. And when neighbors brought food, the witch sent them away, saying that they brought food that they liked instead of Lucy's favorites, which Lucy's favorites (laughs) was grapes and hazelnuts. Is that true? What the fuck? Okay, first of all, I'm never bringing food over to your house again because I'm sorry to bring grapes and hazelnuts, you freaking troll. If this level of haunting is true, you're so used to the witch being like the worst version of Mr. Belvedere that you just don't even... Even not, like you're just like oh, okay whatever okay ghost sure and sure enough when no one brought grapes and hazelnuts the witch according to legend made grapes and hazelnuts appear from thin air and it was with these tasty snacks that lucy nursed herself back to health that's what i'm really excited for I is the sports know. bar version of hospice where you just sit there and just a doctor just throws nuts at your face while the playoffs are on mm, oh that would be nice yeah we haven't cured anything <laughs> no, but at the same time, aren't you mad that they're wearing pink shoes? Yeah. yeah well, where the entity showed kindness to Lucy, it increased the cruelty shown to John. And in October of 1820, the Bell Witch delivered what many believe was the fatal blow to John Bell. <gasps> that fall, John, who was now 71 years old, had had spent a week in bed with a spell of swelling, pain, and twitching. Mm. But he felt good enough on this particular day to work out in the hog pens with his son, William. You know what? I might fake still being sick. (laughs) If it comes down to be like, I'm just well enough to go work in the hog pen. (coughs) What is that? Oh, I just have a twitch. I feel like a little thing in my... (laughs) (laughs) Well, suddenly, though, as they were in the pens, John Bell was pushed to the ground and the shoes flew off his feet. (laughs) 
We just this is weird. Brain. It's a hard but push. It's, it's, it's a hard a, push. And one, some of this, a, I find this very strange. Honestly, yeah, yeah, it's very strange. And, and if it was once, be like, okay, that's kind of funny. But when William helped him back up and tied a double knot, moments later, it happened again. Whoa! Then, after doing a double double knot as tight as they could, it happened a third time. And as John lay on the ground, he was slapped in the face. And there's something. In, in, there's something very demeaning about this uh, that is uh, the ghost is knocking him down in a pig shit over and over again and then throwing his shoes so he has to go walk in pig shit again and again to go get his shoes. Is this ghost from Texas? Is it a relative of yours? <laughs> this is totally a Marcus Parks punishment. <laughs> he then, John then sat down on a log in defeat where first oh. his face, then his entire body began jerking and contorting. John then heard aggressive singing coming from the sky, mixed with demonic shrieks and triumphant rejoicing, as John cried and proclaimed that this was the end of his life, that oh. the witch was finally coming to finish the job. But John did not die there in the hog pen. Instead, his son took him home, where John Bell crawled into his deathbed as the witch continued to fill the room with screaming, cursing, and singing. Yikes. John Bell lingered in that bed for two months in these conditions, and when a doctor came to help, doctor had no idea what to diagnose. So, the doctor checked the house and found that the Bell witch just might have gotten a little help. Hmm. Looking in the kitchen cabinets with John Jr., the doctor found a bottle half-filled with an awful-smelling black potion. The witch then appeared and claimed that she'd been feeding it to John Sr. and that she'd finally given him enough to kill him. Whoa. So, to test this claim of poison, the doctor fed the suspected concoction to the Bell's cat. And sure enough, the cat raced around the room, fell into a stupor, and died about an hour after it was given the poison. This is oh back in the day. Oh my goodness. This of is back course. in the day where you could, you could experiment. Test. Yeah. yeah, you could really, really experiment. Yes, and then of yeah. course, the doctor had to go back on infowars.merch.com, <laughs> get and another vial. We're like, well, now oh, we're going to have the to really do so some much. kind of rollback. We're going to have to call this cat repellent and not human strength retainer. <laughs> the doctor then smelled John's breath and and found the same scent that had been emanating from the bottle. <sighs> Finally, he said there was nothing he could do at this point, so he just asked for his pay and left. What? No. <laughs> That's it. That's what doctors yeah, do. He, he I came don't, in, if you die, came in, you killed their it. family cat, said there's nothing I can do, and then just fucking said, pay me, bitch, and then left. Yep. I'm not president, but okay, hear me out. If I die, <laughs> you don't get paid. <laughs> I feel like in the end, but you still did your job of yes. looking at your mouth and going, I think he's about to die. I am about to die. You're supposed to save me. All you did was kill the cat that maybe I have sex with. Don't have sex with the cat. We've learned this. Do not. Well, that night after the doctor left on December 29th, 1820, John Bell died. And the witch, to the relief of everyone, skipped the funeral. And this is one of the first homicidal hauntings we've seen. If wow. This is indeed true. This is the one that shows that the witch was trying to, trying to kill John Bell and yes, succeeded. Yes, yes. Having done what it had obviously come to do, the witch said after the funeral that it would soon bid the house goodbye for the time being. Hmm. And it wouldn't be heard from again for a great long while. It's like the end of Mary Poppins. 
Yes. After that, the witch stuck around until the spring of 1821, although the displays didn't quite have the same panache as they did when John was still alive. Finally, the witch left, although its tenure had a lingering influence even outside of John Bell's death. As it turned out, Betsy Bell finally took the witch's advice and married her teacher, Richard Powell, when Betsy Bell turned 18. Nice. What? But what about the 18-year-old, the young, the young strapping lad that she was going to hook up with? He wasn't enough. He what wasn't do you mean enough? he wasn't enough? He wasn't. I mean, from what people said, Betsy Bell was extraordinarily happy for the rest of her days. Well, yeah. you don't want to get to talking about how sometimes money might change somebody's affection I for you. I don't know, maybe, maybe the 18-year-old boy had a lot of work to do, but maybe he was a good guy at the end of the day. Dude's got to have a job if it's going to work. That's why I was saying Jackie was single. This was a teacher who was grooming her. But when Jackie was single, I was saying, I want to see all these guys' bank accounts before he starts getting involved in the family. Yeah, mm-hmm. of course. The, the Zabrowski crime family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The witch only appeared on the Bell Farm one more time, seven years after the death of John Bell. The witch scratched at the walls and removed sheets from the bed, but after the Bells decided to just ignore her this time around, she disappeared after two weeks. It's like a troll on Twitter. Well, now yeah. we're saying, essentially, or did it disappear from there? And did it move deep into the bellows of the Bell Witch Cave, which is what mm. people say it did, that it changed locations, back to where maybe its origins were? Maybe. Kind of cool. So now that we're here at the end, we're faced with the question of just what the Bell Witch was. If these events did indeed happen in even the loosest sense. But supposing that these events were indeed paranormal in origin, there are a few possibilities. And we'll mm-hmm. go through those first. First, there's the possibility that it was indeed Kate Batts' witch. That it was a demon summoned from hell to dispatch a man who'd wronged her, even though she'd already gotten restitution for the slight. But to us, this seems the most unlikely. They're passing the buck onto Kate Batts. I don't think that she is an actual witch. I think that she was a lowercase witch. I think that you'd call her a witch talk witch. I would not call her a full, full on. Like, this is not what she was trying to do. They basically have said that the authenticated history blew up the story of Kate Batts and and John Bell's, their their relationship. Like, that that was not really, it it was contentious, but not so much because John Bell had made a bunch of enemies. Mm-hmm. Also, at the time, he hmm. was not necessarily the nicest man who ever lived, and so these the he if it, it could have come from a number of people, not just Kate Batts. It just yeah. seemed like whatever it was, if it did have, if it indeed had a voice, just blame Kate Batts. And how mm-hmm. unlikable must he have been in a world where Andrew Jackson was considered charming? <laughs> I mean, we had H. H. Holmes. You remember how yeah. he was handsome and charming? <laughs> handsome man, yes. Then you've got the hallowed ground theory. On one occasion, near the beginning of the haunting, Reverend Sug asked the spirit who it was and what it wanted. And the witch said, quote, I am the spirit of someone who was once happy and who was disturbed. Hmm. And when Reverend Sug asked in what ways was it disturbed, the spirit said, I am the spirit of a person who was killed close by here and buried. My grave has been disturbed. My bones have been dug up and scattered. One of my teeth was lost under this very house, and I am here to recover it. This whole thing's over a tooth, huh? <laughs> well, the tr- there is a little bit of truth here. 
Yeah, I mean, this claim seemed to be closer to the truth because apparently the Bells had encountered either a Chickasaw or a Cherokee burial mound not too long before the witch appeared while they were clearing some land for crops. But the Bells left the burial mound alone because most farmers in the area did on account of the bad juju. Uh Uh-huh. But Jewelry Bell and a friend of his just couldn't help themselves. Channeling their inner Joseph Smith, the boys dug up the grave for treasure but found only bones. How old we got is these stupid bones? Man, this sucks. <laughs> kind of treasure in its own right, though, isn't it? For Marcus. <laughs> Indeed. Mm, yeah. Even so, as a trophy, they took a human jawbone, and once they got home, Drury's friend, bored with the whole thing, threw the jawbone against the wall of the bell house and dislodged a tooth which fell under the porch. Mm. Now, John had reburied the jawbone to avoid the juju, but supposedly... It was the tooth left behind that the spirit was after. But once the Bell family searched under the house for this missing tooth and found nothing, the Bell witch admitted she'd made the whole thing up. And when asked why, she said, quote, Why? To get old Jack, of course. And I did get you, Jack, didn't I? But not one-tenth so bad as I will get you. Mm. Well, I am dead. <laughs> so now you're not dead. But soon, <laughs> oh, okay. You will be dead. All right. But that death threat, along with all the others, begs the question of why the Bell Witch eventually focused on John Bell to the point of killing him, if the story is indeed true. And we think that in answering that why, we might answer the what mm. of the Bell Witch. Because I want to say, first off, there is a source I found that did a really good breakdown of the intellectual fallacies of the story of the Bell Witch. Now, we know, and we I think we said this at the beginning of last episode, this is a very, very old story. Yeah. And it had a lot of folklore injected into it. And it seems like where it might have started was that, this is according to Last Gas Paranormal, which is a website I found, and they did really good research, and I just want to say that Kyle T. Cobb Jr., who did this, I love this little essay he wrote about the Bell Witch, and one thing that he said is that it seemed like the person, the author of the authenticated history of the Bell Witch, the very first story like first time we saw all of the personalities of the bell witch all of these different things they came from this author named m ingram now m ingram it seems at the same time he said that he received this diary he received this diary from a member of the bell family Mm -hmm. and it had all of these details in it but it seems like that ingram might have written the diary himself because there are words that the diary uses that an basically an uneducated farmer from the 1800s might not have used these words. He used very specific mm. terms of phrases that were very similar to things that Ingram had already used in other chunks of the books. So we don't know whether or not the all of the color, all the details we're saying are like true or they fabrication, but it seems like there are real bones for there being poltergeist activity in this story. And that Absolutely. poltergeist activity was a part of this whole, the tapestry of this whole, this whole thing. Cool. But I, I wonder that this next explanation to me, I think is very interesting. Yeah, I mean, the poltergeist activity, it showed up in a lot of other like books that cover like the history of Tennessee. It showed up in still in the 1800s and long before authenticated history uh, came about. And it also could be like as far as the the diaries go, it could be that uh, Ingram just rewrote the diaries to sound better. 
you know, yes, to, to, to have a, a better tr- sounding narrative. That's also absolutely. Possible. And then w- there was also we asked a question last week to some of our listeners: Was there literature that talked about poltergeist activity where they could know about it? And there was one novel, and a listener sent it to me. I forget the the. A listener sent to me, thank you so much for sending me this information about a novel called Violent, which was uh, written by Charles Brockton Brown, which is like the first example of the American Gothic style of storytelling that involved people weaponizing ventriloquism to create a haunting. But it's hmm. interesting because at the time they said, this is so hack, ventriloquism is stupid, was literally the reception <laughs> that it got back in the day, which wow. I think is interesting. <laughs> okay, let's get into this explanation. As we said, Richard Powell and Betsy Bell were married in 1823, and the two of them lived in happiness without a peep from the witch. But 12 years into the marriage, the thumps on the roof that began the whole saga in the first place reappeared. So trying to end it before it even began, Richard took Betsy to see a hypnotist to see if maybe, just maybe, the key to all of this was within Betsy herself. Mm. And lo and behold, once Betsy was under, she answered in the voice of Jerusalem the little boy who had been one of the four alter egos of the Bell Witch. I can't wait to talk to the doctor Wake up, in my wake up! You're scaring the fuck out of me! Wake up! So, while Betsy was in her hypnotized dream state, the hypnotist began asking questions about the Bell Witch's origins, hoping to finally get an answer of where it came from and why it did what it did. And finally, the Bell Witch revealed what had been going on the whole time. According to what Betsy said under hypnosis, the Bell Witch had been created to protect Betsy after her father had begun molesting her at the age of 12. This you guys a, are really going to do that to us. Big old molest. You guys are really going to make this whole, the whole thing has been about molestation. Yep. The <laughs> whole fucking series. All the I jokes. am so mad. I am so mad at both of you. so mad at He had no clue that this was coming. He had no clue. This whole thing is just about molestation. Well, not quite. Not kinda. fully. <laughs> you guys drug us through four hours yeah. of content. Yeah. Uh, three, well, three. This, to get to the point where it was molestation. Well, all of this came out after the fact, right? Like as they, like all of the story was told, and at the very end of the authentic of the authenticated history, he kind of drops this bomb, saying that Betsy was claimed because number one, because remember his wife when they met was twelve. So as soon as she started getting gross and all like twenty five years old, blah, <laughs> he has a new twelve year old in the house that yep. he can shift to. I see what you're trying to do. I get it. We all get it. Yeah, we get it. <laughs> so think, think about, but here are the clues. Yeah. Well, the voice said that it had originally pulled sheets from beds in an attempt to mock the way John Bell had pulled the bed covers from Betsy's bed every night after everyone had gone to sleep. It's disgusting. I'm very upset. This is like <laughs> this is like a, what SNL should do. Yeah, this is <laughs> sketch. Well, I feel like I'm watching SNL because I'm not laughing at all, and I'm upset. <laughs> yeah, and once again, yeah, I am him. upset. Yeah, yeah. In fact, it seemed as if most of the witch's early actions were an echo of John's foul deeds. Concerning the massive pressure, this was the entity's way of mocking John's crushing weight on Betsy's body as he clamped her hand over her mouth to keep her quiet. Could have had a trigger warning. <laughs> Could have. I know those are popular. People like those now. 
And as far as why Betsy was attacked with slaps, hair pulls, and drags, the entity said it was because Betsy should have told her mother and the ministers what her father was doing. But since she held back the truth, she was essentially punishing herself for allowing the community to believe John Bell was a good man. Not saying it's right, but she yep. said that was the explanation. Okay. In other words, she was supposed to tell the world about Bob, making Betsy Bell an almost Laura Palmer-like character who created her own tulpa to fight the evil that men, and most specifically her father, do. It's an interesting concept, this idea that it came, the call was coming from inside the house, yeah, and that you had a poltergeist that, if this is completely saying, if it's real, in my mind, I feel like that there's there's evidence to show that this type of trauma, we've seen this in other stories, this kind of trauma can trigger psychic events. This is if you believe it in, at all in any way, shape, or form. But it's the, it's the truth, it's the energy of it, and that it kind of exteriorized into the house what she was experiencing. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Looked at from this perspective, Betsy Bell's fits could be seen as the entity basically siphoning energy from a living host in order to build up its strength. And once it had enough, it turned that energy on Betsy's tormentor. And then once the entity had the appropriate amount of juice, it took on a mind and personality of its own, feeding off both Betsy's emotional torment and the overall evil energies that permeated the antebellum South. But the killing blow for John Bell actually came from Betsy herself. When it became clear that mouth stabbings, face twitching, and throat swelling wasn't going to cut it, the quote-unquote witch finally possessed Betsy to finish the job. Mm. Under hypnosis, the voice of Jerusalem said that it was Betsy who had picked the berries and made a deadly nightshade tincture in order to finally murder her father, although Betsy remembered none of it. See, it this is a, is a cool twist to the story. It really yeah. is. And it's so cute when you do think about it. I know she's getting like poison, but you put the berries in your little shirt, you know, and you go and you're like, have a nice day. Like, well, yeah, oh, berries. You're talking about how we cosplay as field workers for yes. relaxing times of during course. the fall. Kind of fun, though. And finally, as far as why the witch was so insistent on Betsy being with Richard instead of Joshua, it was because she actually loved Richard more but feared attention from older men because of what her father had done to her. Damn. Oh. However, looking at this confession another way, as Henry pointed out to me in one of our pre-show conversations, there is the possibility that this whole story was a case of undiagnosed disassociative identity disorder that ended in revenge murder. And through a centuries-long game of telephone, it became the story of the Bell Witch. In my mind, imagine this. Like, Mm. they don't... Maybe they don't really experience... Obviously, we don't know how long DID has been around and this concept of it has been around. I don't know. But the idea of someone, like, maybe someone breaking into multiple personalities because of trauma appears like ghost activity. You see someone break into different characters and you assume that they are being possessed and you're doing, I mean, obviously this is just a completely uneducated shot in the dark. I've seen inside the actor studio. I know what happens with these tormented actors out there. But you have somebody who then the passion of it and like this thing comes out of you that people can't even really see it. They, they just assume there are voices in the air yeah. and they don't know. It's like someone who is like deeply 
traumatized and and they are also maybe suffering some form of mental illness and they're just shooting out into the world. I don't know. You need the shotgun holster that goes by the side of the bed. Ready to go. Ready to go. You <laughs> oh, ever see yeah. those? The shotgun holster on the side of the bed? You see those infomercials? Oh, yeah. It's fun. I'm getting ready for that. Yeah. I'm going to get that. I'm going to have a super soaker full of piss. <laughs> I, I, I hate it. I hate it. But either way, after the hypnotism session, Betsy was free. And the <gasps> Bell Witch never bothered the Bell family ever again. However, Uh-oh. that's not quite the end of the story. Since it's such a good fucking yarn... The Bell Witch passed into Tennessee legend, and it's said that the witch still has the ability to kill. And to this day in Tennessee, fathers are still molesting their daughters. <laughs> I don't want to do work. it. I didn't want to do work. that. I don't. Every day Damn we it. come to the uh, canvas as artists, and yeah, I'm paying. I don't know. It's what to, I, don't, I got ideas. hit with a curveball. You got a curveball in me here. I'm not Aaron Judge. I can't be hitting everything. In 1951, a bunch of boys from Nashville drove down to the Bell Farm on what sounds like a drunken joyride and decided it'd be a good idea to steal the gravestone of John Bell. But on their way back to Nashville, they came upon a curve called the Devil's Elbow. Cool. (laughs) Every town has that. It's the Devil's Taint. It's like, maybe we just need to fix the road. Could we fix? No, no, that pothole. That's the taint. And either because they were too drunk or because the Bell Witch had followed their car, they smashed through the guardrail and plunged 100 feet into the ravine below, killing the driver and maiming the other two boys. Got you. <laughs> another molesting, another molest ghost wins the day. I just don't understand how we even got here. But really, the place where you can still find a bit of Bell Witch action is the cave where the boy was supposedly saved, which the witch supposedly haunts because it's close to where the bells disturbed the Indian burial ground. By accounts, if one enters the cave, you can hear the sounds of an old lady laughing, moaning, rasping, wheezing, and whispering. And those that brave the depths are sometimes choked, slapped, have their hair pulled, or feel as if a great weight is on their chest. And as legend has it, if one were to take but a single stone from this cave, the bell witch will follow bestowing misfortune and misery upon the thief until they finally meet the same fate as John Bell. Damn, it's kind of like marrying a cougar. It is. You (laughs) never know what's going to happen. Courtney Cox. Holy hell. That was incredible. The Bell Witch story. Taking a turn for the worse. That was a three-hour wind-up to a (laughs) massive... I feel like I just... This is the audio version of the movie The Crying Game. Uh, This is just... There's a big hook here at the the end. The Uh, twist. The twist, of course. Uh, Thank you all so much for listening to our series on The Bell Witch. Hopefully it provided you some spooky entertainment here in the month of October. We have a couple of little announcements. Number one, we love when you guys make shirts, make make fan art, and sell them. We fucking love it, and we support it endlessly. We don't give a shit. But we wanted to make one announcement, was that if you see a shirt... Or any type of merch that has our logo on it, that does, like something that we designed that's from the last podcast merch.com website on another website, if it's on Amazon, it's not a real shirt and it's gonna be shit. Well, the yes. quality is gonna be bad. That's why we mentioned it. And uh, so just be cautious of that. And uh, of course, we. That's it. Buy yes. anything else. It just, if you see our, obviously the stuff that we have developed yeah. on the our merch site on somebody else's site, it's, it's we, not real. 
we love we it lo- when people we love it when our fans make original art when you do your yes. own thing you know and there's a lot of people out there that are making merch uh that is stealing art from like our instagram you know from our fans and there's a lot of people out there making bootleg uh so, bullshit so know that yeah. the only place for official last podcast merch is last podcast merch Yes, and we say this because we want the product that you receive to be high quality, and we really, really tried hard to and we make do. our and quality we, uh, very high. And so we don't want to uh, fuck with our fan art either because it's so important to us. It's so cool. It means so much to how many talented listeners we have that make yes. shit and, and sell shit. And of course, if you have anything that you're selling on Etsy or whatever, tag me on Instagram. I'd be more than happy to promote it and uh, get you selling out of mugs or cups or whatever the hell you create. Uh, because obviously, again, that is uh, that is why we love our community so much because you guys are unbelievably talented and uh, uh, that's very cool. But yes, just, and, just let you, you know so you get the best quality product possible. But you and do have to create it. You can't just slap our logo on a coffee cup and say I created this. That is, you're correct. Technically <laughs> you're correct. though, didn't they create it? Isn't that interesting? It's weird. It's, it's what I was getting into with the idea of meaning and I'll start screaming it about it later. Um, but this weekend we're continuing to get spooky with Haunter oh House God. on twitch.tv slash network. 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. What do you got this Saturday, Henry? We're watching the original. We're watching the, the original. original Nosferatu, mm. and it is me, Natalie Jean, my beautiful wife. We got Amber Nelson and Holden McNeely. We're gonna be having fun. We're starting on time. The stream will start on time this week. Yes, there you go. Nosferatu. It must have been difficult not to eat the nails. I'm a nail chomper. He must have had a lot oh, of patience. His own nails. Yeah, his own nails. I just thought he was eating nails, and I thought you were just eating nails, which is bad. No, not <laughs> nails. And also, nails. for this week's charity, we are doing the we are covering the Midnight Mission, which is a great organization that it does like they are completely homegrown, like working for people that are unhomed. I, we love the Midnight Mission, and we're really excited to raise money for them this week. Absolutely, thank you all so much for supporting all the shows here on the LPN Network. Uh, make sure you check out Marcus's music show, No Dogs in Space. At least I hope not, because the one they sent into space died. Yeah, he did. Yeah, like it did not come back. Like it did not and come he back. He didn't even do anything. I don't think they learned anything from that mission. No, he was a good boy. He sat still. Just died. <laughs> you don't uh, send dogs into space because they don't come back. They never come back. Or if they do, they're not real. They're not real. It's inhabited. <laughs> it's inhabited. And Ooh, next maybe week, I'll watch the thing later on today. It is really mm. good. And we are getting a spookier and a spookier this week and this coming months. Next week, we're going to have a throwback to something we haven't done in quite a bit of time, and I'm really excited to get spooky with it. Uh-oh. We're getting Italian, and then after <laughs> we're that, Italian, you'll huh? see. And oh, then this after time that, we're going to get spooky with it. This time we are going to get spooky with it. <laughs> so we're, this is going to be an Italian horror story. This time. <laughs> and then afterwards, we're gonna, we have a fucked up story. Yeah. Coming for Halloween that I'm very, very excited for. What's the for. tease for the Italian story? There was just like. Oy, oy, oy. <laughs> that's the tease. <laughs> manja, 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 manja. You're grabbing your breast. They can't see that, Henry, but we can. Yep. So thank yeah. you. That's what I do it for. I do yeah, it for my can. friends. I know, buddy. Um, all right, everyone. Also, Patreon, if uh, if you have a chance to give to our Patreon, thank you so much for that. We have a funny interview this week with uh, with the son of Frank Herbert, who is the author of it's Dune. It's fucking huge. I didn't even and, want The um, way you're even saying it, it's Brian Herbert. It's Frank Herbert's son. This is huge. We talk about Dune that's for an hour. That's what I was saying. I know. It's it big. was very fun. And uh, and also Kevin Anderson uh, joins us. So thank you all so much for that. And uh, check that out. And uh, all right, that's about it. Hope everyone's hanging in there the best you can. Sure. We'll keep on trucking along. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Hail game. Magustalations, everybody. Hail me, huh? 
Huh? Hey, come on, hey. Hey, what happened to you? Your cockney? Hey, no, you better, I, by uh, the way, you have auditions coming up next year. You better get on your cockney accent and you you have to start working again. Oh my god, you how start do I making act? money for the family. How do I act? I don't know. Oh my god. That's I your mean, job. I'm just so used to sitting now. <laughs> <laughs> this show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Yeah.